1: He was a philosopher, writer, and music composer in the 18th century. Rousseau believed that society has an enormous influence on human development and behavior. In his later years, he wrote a detailed account of his life to help explain how his own experiences shaped his personality, views, neuroses, and imperfections. This autobiography was called Confessions. It's such a... A book that seems
2: to be at the at the starting point for so much of modern culture, for so much of not just of modern culture, but of the way we we think today in Western societies. Uh, the book just you know invented so much of of the modern of the modern mindset, if you want to call it that. Uh, my name is David Bell. I'm a professor of history at Princeton University. I'm a specialist in French history, particularly the history of the 18th century, the early 19th century, which is to say the Enlightenment the French Revolution and Napoleon.
1: Rousseau pioneered new ways of thinking about education, politics, and the human personality that still resonate in modern society. So this notion of the corrupting
2: effects of society, as we understand society, um, the notion of the effect of childhood experience on the formation of the adult personality, the influence of personality upon upon the written word and upon writing, I think these are all enormously powerful
1: examples of the way that uh, Rousseau influences people. Welcome to Writ Large, a podcast about how books change the world. I'm Zachary Davis. In each episode, I talk with one of the world's leading scholars about one book that changed the course of history. For this episode, I sat down with Professor David Avram Bell to discuss Jean-Jacques Rousseau's Confessions.
0: So could you... tell us about Rousseau. Um, sketch his life for us. And and why did he, why was he impelled to write a book like this?
2: Uh, so Rousseau is, is one of the great figures of the 18th century, of course, one of the great figures of the French Enlightenment. One of the most striking things about his life is that until he was in his late 30s, most people considered him something of a failure, something of a crank, an eccentric. Uh, he was born in 1712 in Geneva, uh, which was then an independent city-state, a Protestant city-state, really a Puritan city-state in what's now Switzerland. He grew up there. His father was uh, was an artisan, a watchmaker. Uh, but he ran away from home when he was just a teenager and and really spent much of the next 20 years really wandering, bumming around, uh, working odd jobs, working as a laborer, working as a domestic servant, working as a private secretary, Uh he eventually made his way to Paris, where he fell in with a group of young thinkers, the, the and but, uh, but he hadn't written very much of his own. And in fact, he was known above all for his insistence on trying to peddle a new system of musical notation that he had invented and that was really, uh, and that nobody else really was very excited by, but that he was absolutely obsessed with. Uh, And then when he was in his his late 30s, he wrote what we now know as the First Discourse, which
1: all of a sudden gave him European-wide fame. The idea for the First Discourse came about one afternoon in 1749. Rousseau was reading the French gazette Mercure de France and saw an ad placed by the Academy of Dijon. They were sponsoring a prize competition for an essay that responded to the question, has the restoration of the sciences and arts contributed to the purification of morals? According to Rousseau, upon reading this, he, quote, saw another universe and became another man. He had found the idea that set the agenda for the rest of his intellectual career, how society corrupts human beings. This became the thesis for his essay for the competition. He won first prize, and his piece was published in 1750. This essay was called Discourse on the Sciences and Arts, also known as the First Discourse. And... Then, over the next 20
2: years, he became probably the single most famous man in Europe. He wrote, you know, at explosive speed, a series of absolutely extraordinary books in a a wide variety of fields. Uh, He wrote uh, conjectural histories that we might now call a kind of anthropology.
1: He wrote political treatises. He wrote on political economy. Rousseau's work spanned many genres. He wrote one of the most popular novels in Europe at the time, Julie as well as a treatise on the nature of education called Émile. But all through this time, he was also uh, engaged in incessant
2: quarrels with his enemies and even more so with his friends because it was very difficult to be his friend. He he tended to quarrel with his friends. He accused them of betraying him. And and he, he was always defending himself. He was always a controversial figure. And so in the late 1760s, uh, during yet another period of real turmoil in his life, he sat down to to decide to write a kind of justification of his existence, which became the Confessions. So this book uh, he wrote first one the first half of it, uh, and then he took a break and came back to it a few years later. Uh, it was only published after his death. So he died in 1778. He had certainly made parts of it available. He had engaged in public readings of it, but he uh, didn't publish the book itself. Uh, during his lifetime. Uh, the first half was published in 1782. Uh, the second half was then published just on the eve of the French Revolution in 1789. It was an autobiography, but it's also very
1: much a kind of self-justifying autobiography. Rousseau's Confessions is considered one of the first autobiographical works. There were several others that came before, including Augustine's own Confessions in 400 AD, Saint Teresa's Autobiography in 1565, and Memoirs of the Cardinal de Retz in 1717. Unlike Rousseau's Confessions, however, these earlier works focused mostly on religious experiences. So there are many, many precedents for for Rousseau writing his
2: autobiography, but he took the the title Confessions, of course, very deliberately from Augustine, uh, because Augustine had written this book that was meant to be, on the one hand, a kind of uh, absolutely unsparing glimpse of his own life, and Rousseau presents his confessions in the same way. I mean on the first page he says I'm giving you the good and the bad uh when this is not uh when I'm telling you stories that don't reflect well on me well you'll have that as well. And he says famously at the beginning of, of the book on the very first page he says you know when the last judgment comes I will simply show up to God with, to the sovereign judge as he puts it with my book and I'll hand it to him and say here you can read it for yourself. Uh and this is quite similar to to the tactic taken by by Augustine. Uh who also reflected unsparingly on his own sins as a young man and his own desire not to stop sinning but in fact to to be able to keep a life of pleasure before he was ultimately turned to god so in that sense the this is this is very similar but there are very different sorts of purposes still for the for the two books because augustine was telling the story of his own sinfulness and his own and his own character, in a sense in order to get to, in order to get beyond the individual human, and in order to get to the greater truths of the Christian religion, which is definitely not what Rousseau is trying to do. Uh, with Rousseau, uh, he also sees the path to a certain truth lying through an unsparing inspection and examination of his own self. Uh, but if for Augustine the truth in question was the truth of Christianity, For Rousseau, it was the truth of of humanity, but but not just humanity in general, but also of a self-realized humanity, of his own individual self and his own individual character. One of the other things he says right at the beginning of the book is, there's never been anybody on earth like me, and I don't think there ever will be anybody like me, but if you want to see what I was like, then, then read this book. But the implication is actually that all human beings are different from one another, and that they all have to realize their own individual selves as much as possible and that Rousseau's way of doing this is through his own exploration of his own life in the book. So he's interested
0: in how we come to be ourselves. Um, how, how does he do that through his text? What is he what is he trying to say about self-formation?
2: What Rousseau trying to say about self-formation is one of the most radically impressive and interesting things about the book because because particularly because of the role that he gives to childhood so the, the entire first book of the Confessions is devoted to Rousseau's childhood from his earliest infancy. Uh, he starts by saying, uh, I felt before I could think, which of course is what is true with all human beings. And he really goes back to his earliest possible memories. And he takes us through his childhood. But more than that, he presents his childhood as the mold which sets the adult personality and that's something which we take almost for granted today. We, 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 you know, not only have we, if we haven't read Rousseau, we've certainly read Freud. And we take absolutely for granted that it's a, the childhood experience and the adolescent experience that makes us who we are in adulthood, at least in very large part. But this was not at all the way people thought in the 18th century, not in France, not in, not in Europe. People saw children on the one hand as being basically sort of little half-formed adults, but for the most part, they didn't take childhood very seriously. They didn't take childhood experience very seriously. It was something that you lived through. Uh, but if you had traumas, if you had various intense experiences, well, that didn't really matter. the The adult personality took shape as you became an adult from your adult experiences, from the from the full full f- from the fully formed mind at work. I mean, from the very beginning. So he talks about one of the most sort of vivid incidents in the book comes when he talks about how his his nurse, when he's really still a, a toddler, very, hardly more than a toddler, spanks him very hard uh, for some child childhood infraction. And then he says, you know, that the the spanking didn't have the effect on me that she intended because it actually excited me. And he then says, you know, and this formed my tastes. And by tastes, he very much means sexual tastes going into adulthood. And he he learned through this experience to associate pleasure and pain in a somewhat sadomasochistic way which he says remained at the at the heart of his sexual tastes throughout his entire life. So this is I think the most the single most, you know, colorful example certainly, but it's only one of many examples how in his uh, in his description of his childhood he continually says this is how my adult personality was formed. And again and again, he will say this in the book, and again and again, talking about his adolescence and his early adulthood, he says, this is how my adult, he doesn't use the word personality, but that's effectively what he's saying. This is how my adult
1: personality was formed. Rousseau wrote about the impacts of childhood on the adult personality in Confessions and Emile, both of which were hugely influential at the time. So,
2: you know, these two books by themselves have this enormous effect, but I think the Confessions is actually a much more effective way of doing it because it's told through the prism of Rousseau's life itself, rather than doing it as the kind of abstract discussion of a of a character named Emile, who in the end is really something of a cipher, because he's only a kind of vessel for Rousseau's ideas.
0: I'm curious to learn a little bit more from you. What childhood looked like in the eighteenth century, um, and then what changes maybe started to arise because of Rousseau's ideas about how important childhood is.
2: In the upper class, again, childhood was really not taken very seriously so that you know, really pretty much among anybody who could afford it up until the late 18th century, children were put out to nurse almost immediately. uh, So that once the baby was born, they were given to a wet nurse and often they wouldn't actually see their parents again for quite some time. There's a famous story, uh, possibly apocryphal, but I think it's actually true about Talleyrand, who was Napoleon's foreign minister, And born into the high French nobility, so the story goes that at about when he was about seven years old, his tutor, his childhood tutor, took him to a grand home, and there was a party going on. And the the man took him inside, and he was all dressed up for the occasion, and took him to this, this this very elegantly dressed couple. And the tutor said to the boy, he said, Monsieur Talleyrand, I have the pleasure to introduce you to your mother and father, whom he had really barely seen since his birth. And nobody saw anything unusual about this particularly. It didn't really matter. He was attached to his governess, to his, to his nurse, to his tutor, uh, but he barely knew his parents. But you also ask about the, about the impact of Rousseau's own work, and there it was simply absolutely enormous. Uh, one of the most striking things is that Rousseau was strongly against the practice of putting children out to nurse which, in fact, was, was definitely not a good practice whatsoever because it put the child at risk, particularly when, uh, in poorer families, the nursemaid might be, her, in fact, out of her own body, nursing as much as five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 children at once,
1: so that the children definitely were not getting enough nourishment. In poorer communities, this practice was also known as baby farming. It is estimated that roughly 80% of babies fed by an overworked wet nurse died in infancy. Rousseau argued
2: very strongly against the practice of putting children out to nurse and argued that that mothers should nurse their own children. And this became almost immediately after the publication of Émile, a tremendous fad, Uh, not not just a fad, but it became a a sweeping practice across all of Europe so that very soon it became seen as almost immoral to put your children out to nurse Uh, when before it had been seen as absolutely natural. And it's a a good example of the way how what is seen as natural can shift so, so quickly uh, and so dramatically, and by the by, the late 17 or in the early 1780s, even Queen Marie Antoinette of France was nursing her own children, which no queen of France had done for a very, very long time. So, again, that's simply one example. And people began to, I mean, people began to copy, you know, they began to take literally Rousseau's advice about about uh, about childhood, about how to raise your children, about um, you know, in, in, for example, exposing children to the natural world very early on, which is one of the key pieces of advice in Émile, and so on and so forth. So so yes, the book, his ideas had a tremendous impact long before the publication of the Confessions, I should say.
0: Related to that, it's this idea that children need to be protected because the influence matters so much. So I could imagine there must have been some greater emphasis on positive influencing of the child and then a, a greater you know, emphasis on trying to protect from abuse or, you know, dangers of all, of all kinds.
2: The idea that Rousseau repeatedly says in Émile of giving children as natural an upbringing as possible so that they're protected above all from the evil effects of society. Uh, and you could see this all over the 18th century. I mean, even, you know, in in, in 18th century schools in Paris, for instance, there was a very heavy discipline Put in place even well before Rousseau, even uh, in part to to designed to keep keep the the young the 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 children from being exposed to bad influences such as gambling, prostitution, drinking, uh, with the usual lack of success that these kind of tactics have. Uh, But um, so always a kind of back and forth. But earlier in the eighteenth century, was it was simply keeping the children from sin, and after Rousseau, it's it's also the emphasis is more protecting them from things that could harm their development.
0: So the model of self-formation, does Rousseau enter in a more imminent um, story about how humans are formed? So, and, and I'm, I'm wondering, is the pre-Rousseau <laughs> idea that, that our souls or our character are basically imprinted by God and there's, you know, there's no real way to alter that. Whereas after Rousseau, a, a greater sense that the world can shape us according to you know, random events or by care by the parents and the, and the community?
2: Well, I'd say that in in, in some ways, Rousseau is, is part of a, of a much larger shift in, in Western culture. Uh, certainly part of this goes back to the late 17th century. It goes back to the idea that the mind is a blank slate at birth that uh, is shaped by sense impressions. Uh, so in that sense, he's part of something uh, much larger there. And yet, this notion of the mind as a blank slate still managed to coexist in a lot of ways with Christian doctrine, Christian belief. Uh, But Rousseau marks a really strong break with with Christianity, particularly with the notion of human beings as being sinful from from birth and having this potential for sin in them. Uh,
1: Rousseau is uh, absolutely against this. Rousseau outlined his beliefs about the human state of nature in his 1755 work, Discourse on Inequality.
2: What Rousseau says very clearly in this book is that human beings are born with two principal impulses. One is an impulse towards pure self-preservation, which is neither good nor bad. It's neither evil nor good, and neither sinful nor innocent. It's simply there. Um, And then they're born with a natural sense of compassion towards their their fellows. And that's it. Uh, But then, he traces the evolution of the human species. uh, And as he does, he says, well, a capacity for evil develops, uh, but it develops as a result of society. It develops as a result of the pressures put on by society. It develops as a result of human inequality. And it develops as a result of what he calls amour propre, by which he means the way that on entering into, into society, humans come to worry about the impression they're making on other people. They come to see themselves through the eyes of others. They start living for others rather than living for themselves. And that this induces them to all sorts of bad behavior. So this is very much at odds with, of course, with 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 Christian doctrine. And Rousseau's Confessions is in many ways a kind of illustration of the point uh, by looking at his life. Because while, as I said, he... He says very clearly at the beginning that this will be a no-holds-barred, absolutely unsparing look at my own life, and I will give you the good with the bad. But when it comes to explaining why he acts in a bad way, it's not because he's sinful. It's not because he has sinful impulses. It's not because of any kind of charnel nature in him. Uh, It's not because of bad impulses and drives. It's because of society. It's because of what society makes him. Everything that is bad in him is the product of, of society. And in that sense, again, it's an incredibly modern sensibility. Uh, it's a very anti-Christian sensibility in a lot of ways, but it is one which I think we we almost take for granted these days that you know that the evil that we do comes from the milieux in which we're raised and comes from the social pressures on us. And that's pure Rousseau. He's not the only person to say this, but he's certainly the most influential person to say this in the 18th century. And again, the uh the confessions really are a kind of illustration of this.
1: Rousseau was situated in the middle of what later became known as the European Enlightenment. This philosophical and intellectual movement sought truth through skepticism, reason, and the sciences. Rousseau's works and ideas were influential in his own time and continued to be taken up after his death. He inspired many writers, thinkers, and artists in a 19th century movement known as Romanticism. This movement focused on individualism and an emphasis on emotion. Certainly by the by the
2: by, the turn of the of the nineteenth century, uh, any pretty much anybody who we consider a romantic author is reading Rousseau and is inspired by Rousseau. And and in that sense, I mean, to the extent that we're talking about a romantic movement, it very explicitly has a debt to Rousseau, which its leading authors were very e- eager to acknowledge.
0: You know, I can imagine that for a lot of seventeenth century, eighteenth uh, century Christians, the purpose to life was wrapped up in ideas of uh, of christian salvation um rousseau had a different view of what life's purpose and meaning was about maybe more about this world is that right
2: i think that most of his work is a, a break with this and a break so deep that in fact he never fully acknowledges it himself which is to say that the purpose of living is to to live in this world in his political writings Particularly the social contract, he, he says the way to be fully to have live a full life in this world is through the state, and through citizenship. And so, for instance, at the end of the book, the social contract, uh, even when he's talking about you know the pure religion of the gospel, he says, you know, in a in a in a in a state that functions, you don't really want Christianity because Christianity points people towards the world to come. It says you shouldn't really care about this world; you should just care about about about, about reaching heaven and he says if you want to have a state that works you can't have people living like this you need a state where people are devoted to the state and so for that you need a religion which actually makes them worship the state quite literally the way that the romans did so first there is the citizenship and 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 living for the state uh for living for others if you want to put it that way uh then there in at the beginning of Emile the book that he writes called Emile very I think very very significantly he says you know when you're raising a child you have really two choices you can raise a child to be a citizen, or you can raise him, it's always a, a boy, you can raise him to be a man, uh, but you can't do both, you have to choose. When he says raising a man, he actually means somebody who's really kind of in tune with nature, who's in tune with his natural human impulses. But in the Confessions, Rousseau gives us a third option, which is a, an individual who's really true to himself, uh, who is fully realized in the sense of taking his own his own individual character, his own individual uh, tastes and predilections choices and really fully realizing them, fully being a fully creative, original individual. And that's what is really sketched out in the Confessions. And that process is by no means an easy one. It's an agonistic one uh, in the full sense, because of course, in order to do this, you have to struggle against society. You have to struggle against what society is trying to turn you into, uh, which is something twisted and bad and evil. Uh, So to be a fully realized individual, it's not simply a matter of of sort of working to develop oneself, to to sort of write one's poetry or sing one's songs or whatever, to go for long walks in the mountains, the way a lot of the romantics assumed this would be the case. You actually have to fight. You have to fight to to free
1: oneself from everything that society is trying to do to, to enslave you. Rousseau's vision for society was influenced by the French philosopher Montesquieu. So Montesquieu
2: particularly takes very seriously the idea of mankind as a social animal. Montesquieu... Uh, and many of the authors of the period actually were responsible for inventing the notion of the modern notion of society. Uh, I mean, again, it's one of these notions that we take for granted almost entirely today that there's such a thing that we call society, which is separate from government, which is separate from the state, which is a kind of, you know, sort of fundamental ground, ground on which human existence takes place and that is separate from, from politics. And that, very notion of society didn't really exist before the late 17th or early 18th century. People used the word society or civil society, but they basically
1: meant government by it. They meant a state by it. They didn't separate these things. Montesquieu was part of a movement of thinkers who viewed society as something separate from the government. He saw it as being influenced by things like tradition, history, and interactions with other societies. They see it as something which is potentially very good. Uh, They saw
2: their own government, as 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 potentially they saw f- the French government certainly as 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 quite destructive and 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 bad as despotic as potentially despotic, but society was something which had its own dynamic, it had its own rules, it had its own existence, and could be something really quite quite quite. Uh, and society is really where people lived and where people could be most fully developed. So, in Montesquieu's work, as in Voltaire's work. Uh, You really are a fully developed individual only by living through society, in society. Uh, They they both put a great deal of emphasis on what they call sociability, which is the ability to live in harmony with other human beings, uh, through
1: conversation, through wit, through constant interchange and interaction. Rousseau agreed that society and government were separate, but disagreed with Montesquieu on the belief that society was good. He often rebelled against society because he thought it exploited its citizens, Rousseau and Montesquieu also disagreed on the role women should play in society. Montesquieu believed women were required for a good, balanced, and elegant society. Rousseau believed in a more domestic role for women. Uh, Rousseau really believed that women should be,
2: uh, you know, that they didn't have any kind of public role whatsoever. Uh, and, you know, it's interesting because in the Confessions, he spends a great deal of time, of course, talking about women. And he doesn't really stick to his own, to his, to his, to his own, uh, Uh, you know, to his, to his own preaching in the confessions.
0: He is suspicious of society and worries about the way it corrupts. Um, How does he teach this idea of personal independence from society?
2: Ah, this is where often he had, you know, such a great influence. It was, it was, it was in part through advocating a kind of asceticism. So, and not taking handouts. So, Rousseau famously gets involved in one of the great quarrels of the 18th century, one of the great intellectual quarrels, and he gets involved with with his former friend, his ex-friend David Hume, uh, the Scottish philosopher. So Rousseau is chased out of Switzerland uh, because of the things he's written, because of course a lot of the things he's written don't please the authorities. They don't please the authorities in France, they don't please the authorities in Switzerland. He goes back and forth between France and Switzerland, between
1: formal Catholicism and formal Protestantism during his lifetime. By the mid-1760s, Rousseau was driven from his home in Switzerland by an angry mob. He fled to England to stay with his friend David Hume. And then David Hume very kindly arranges
2: for Rousseau to receive a kind of stipend from a wealthy English nobleman. And Rousseau says, you Judas, you've betrayed me. You're trying to enslave me. You're making me dependent. And it's not the first time that this happens either. In the Confessions, he tells another story about how I mean, one of the things, also one of the things he does in his career is he actually, he's, he writes music and he writes operas. And while he starts out not being able to to read music at all and starts out as somebody who's trying to teach music without actually knowing it, uh, by the time he's in his in his 40s, he's he's very good at it. And he writes an opera, which is put on at Versailles. And it pleases the king. It's put on before the king of France. And the king likes it. And the king then, as the king would do in these circumstances, offered Rousseau a stipend and said, why don't you become a kind of paid paid uh, affiliate of the court, and we'll, you can write your operas, and we'll, we'll, we'll give you, a, we'll give you a, a living. And Rousseau and, and Rousseau's friend Diderot says, this is great, you're all taken care of, you don't have anything to worry about, congratulations. And Rousseau says, I thought you were my friend, but don't you see that they're simply trying to enslave me? And so Rousseau at least he claims to not take any handouts at all. Now in fact he takes lots of handouts from wealthy women. And he lives in their houses, he accepts homes from them, he accepts lots of things from them. But he always says, I'm not taking any handouts. And he lives very, and he actually lives
1: very simply for much of his life, particularly when he's in France. Rousseau earned a living by copying sheet music by hand. Although there were printing presses that could also copy the music. If you only need a couple of copies, it was often cheaper to pay someone to do it by hand.
2: And he argued that this is what you have to do. You have to live an ascetic life, you have to resist the sort of embellishments of society, you have to resist taking anything from anybody. Because as soon as you take something from somebody, they have power over you. As soon as you accept a stipend, you have to do what they want. Later in life, he goes to live in these fairly remote rural areas. He spends his time walking in nature, walking through the mountains, walking through the woods, uh, very much in isolation. So as he gets older, he says, yes, you have to really isolate
1: yourself entirely from society. Rousseau was a firm believer in living for yourself. Going back to his earliest works on child raising, he believed that people are born good and then corrupted by society. He believed that part of how society corrupts people is by forcing them to live as others want them to live. For him, this included taking handouts and stipends from wealthy noblemen and even the king. According to Rousseau, when you live as others want you to live, you're not being true to yourself. And this sets up a psychological tension that harms your psyche. Rousseau felt this tension at various points throughout his life. Confessions, in part, was his attempt to try to uncover his true nature, the nature that got corrupted by society. For him, writing was a way to access the individual psyche.
2: What he makes very clear in all of his writing is that the writing itself is a product of his own individual psyche. That the writing itself, and this is something, again, which we take absolutely for granted these days. I mean, every single creative writing class that has ever been starts with, of course, the admonition to write what you know, right? To write from yourself. And we can blame this on, on Rousseau, I think. I mean, Montesquieu would never have said just write what you know. What? Who cares about what I know, right? I mean, you write what's interesting, right? You write out of your imagination, you don't write out of your experience. But but Rousseau really believes that 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 writing is deeply, deeply, that the, that the, that the written word is, is deeply indebted to the personality of the author, which, again, is something we take wholly for granted today and that somebody like Montesquieu would have seen as actually a somewhat strange and almost unintelligible idea that the writing reflects the intimate, in, inner intimate personality of the author. So that's yet another thing, and that's something which Rousseau makes very clear in his confessions when he describes his own writings. And because he says, these own writings come out of the deepest part of my soul,
0: you know, in his interest in childhood development, he seems to anticipate or, you know, pre- predate Freud. Are there other aspects of Rousseau's work that influence the development of psychology and, and like thinking about the world through psychological lenses?
2: I mean, besides the emphasis on childhood, I think the whole notion on, of, their, of, of, of sort of self-realization clearly. Is enormously important for our modern notions of psychology. I mean, so much, and a notion which is so central to, to Freudian analysis in the sense that that we have to, in some way, overcome the the, the you know the, the the experiences which have influenced us in the wrong way. Right. Uh, I mean, that that's also in a way pure Rousseau. I mean, Rousseau of course didn't didn't have a scientific method for doing this, and he. Really, his his only his his method for overcoming these things was simply through sheer willpower, um, of his own willpower. He did not through any kind of sort of scientific process of analysis, the way Freud would have said. So that's that's very different, of course. But uh, I mean, he is an intensely psycholo- psychological writer, in a sense. In his, I mean, everything is attuned. Everything he writes is, in a sense, is concerned with the the individual psyche, with uh, the development of the mind, but not just with the development of the mind, but with the development of the personality with the development of personality traits, and with the idea that there are healthy and unhealthy traits, pathological and non-pathological traits, um, and that you have to try to work to raise children and then to treat adults in such a way that you will be fostering the development of the healthy traits and stifling the development of the unhealthy ones. So that is, I think all of that is makes him one of the great authors of modern, modern psychology and the way we think about the mind, really, today, and the way we think about personalities.
1: Rousseau's footprint on our culture can often go undetected because the things he influenced are so integral to modern life that we don't even think twice about them. He set the stage for how we raise children today, how we understand personality development, and the ideal of living fully for oneself. When you know where to look, it can be hard to imagine modern society without Rousseau's influence. Rit Large is produced by Galen Beebe, Jack Pombriant, and me, Zachary Davis. We get help from Liza French. Our theme song is by Ian Koss, and our branding is by Dan Petchy. We're a member of Lit Hub Radio. Rit Large is a Lyceum original production. Join our discussion room in the Lyceum app to share your thoughts and hear what other listeners are saying. You can also find us on our website, writlarge.fm. There, you'll find transcripts, links to the books we discussed, and more information about today's guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time.